nigga live right now, man. It's going down, excited for the season. You know, we coming off a playoff win. I mean, you know, we had a couple wins. Winning game four, at least pride-wise, made me feel good because you don't ever want to get swept. I'm indifferent to him, whether or not he signs it. I'll be uh, hitting Milwaukee for the next five years. If you ask me, can the Bucks win game five? I put it at 40% confidence, yes. To think that, that a season is championship or bust is is um, certainly not the way we've approached it. At this point, we don't know what's going to happen. You can get game six. You can steal it. Championship or bust. Winning game six and seven. Championship or bust. I don't think they're going to win the whole series, but... There is no enjoyment with this team. Hello and welcome to the Brew Hoop Podcast, episode 80. I'm Adam Paris, co-managing editor of BrewHoop.com, joined as per usual by Riley Feldman and Kyle Carr. Fellas, how are we doing on this this Sunday morning? Doing pretty good. I uh, think we're going to determine today whether or not Thanasis won or lost his place in the rotation. And I think that's going to be one of the biggest questions we answer this season, and I'm excited to be here with you guys to break it all the way down. Yeah, I really hope we don't get the Nasus minutes moving forward because they're just not great. But, you know, on, on the other side of it, Bill Michaels lost his show, which is great. <laughs> Steve Homer said he's leaving Twitter, which is great. So, you know, if that's the price we have to pay for more Thanasis minutes is those two not being on any social media shows, I'm okay with that. A very fair trade-off there, a very fair trade-off during a, an absolutely – Pretty awful week for reasons far beyond Thanasis getting minutes. Um, so we're going to move on, though, and talk about the week that was for the Milwaukee Bucks. But before we do that, we took last week off for the holidays. So I just want to touch very briefly on the week that we missed. Of course, last you heard us, we were talking about that uh, abhorrent loss to the New York Knicks, 130-110. to 110. Uh, Not looking quite as awful, maybe, right now, in retrospect, as it did then. Knicks seemed to continue to be a little frisky. Actually knocked off the Jazz just a few days later, coming back from a big deficit there. So maybe that loss won't look as bad in retrospect, also outlier or whatever. But um, the next games that week were, of course, a uh, two-game matchup in Miami, where the Bucks won the first matchup, 144-197. to Set an NBA record with 29 made three-pointers. TNT also cut away from that broadcast uh, for a lengthy period, so that was delightful. And then they lost the next night, 119-108. to 108. Um, That was obviously disappointing. And then beat the Bulls, 126-96, to 96, just sort of ho-hum. I think they said that's like 11 times in a row. Milwaukee's beat Chicago, which is absolutely nuts. But uh, Riley, from just from that last, you know, last week of games, was there anything that really stuck out to you from any of those that you wanted to just touch on? I think, and we're going to talk about this for this week's slate of games as well, when this team has been on, they've been really on. Now, setting the league record for three-pointers in a game, that's a level of on that I don't anticipate them reaching all that often, uh, as many shooters as they do have. I'd, you know, Even Thanasis was making threes, and if that's going to be the case, then you know something's really going their way, but... You know, we saw the heights of what they can do when they're really executing, and then also a little bit of the lows, especially in the Miami game. I think uh, there's not much to take away from the Bulls games just because the Bulls are awful and they continue to be awful. And that's just kind of what it is is the Bucks have been really good against the awful teams. I think they're like 
now four and one, I believe, against teams below 500. Again, small sample, only 10 games into the season. Um, but they've struggled against the good teams, against the Heat. It, we totally overwhelmed them with three-point shooting. In the second game, the issue was, I don't know if you could say necessarily adjustment issues, but if you're looking for at these mini-game series to say, can the Bucks start sweeping them? Um, you had good evidence this past week against the Pistons, but against a team of the quality of the Heat, not as good of evidence. You kind of split the series. So what does that indicate? I'm not sure if that's inconsistency or an ability of the other team to adjust where we don't. Um, but those are kind of the big things that I took away. So cool on the threes, I don't think it's indicative of what we're going to do the rest of the season necessarily. Um, kind of a downer that they weren't able to follow it up, uh, especially with Jimmy Butler and everything like that. Uh, those are kind of the big takeaways from that week. Yeah, for me, I would say the biggest takeaways were when the Bucks play, when the Bucks hit their shots, their offense is flowing. They're on a nearly unstoppable team. As we saw in the first Heat game, threes were just flying left and right, and they're falling. And even though they weren't, yeah, I don't think they're going to hit an NBA record number of threes, but if they're still hitting, you know, 20, you know, at least 20-something, I think that goes a far way for how good this offense can be. And you can see it as well in the Pistons games, which I know we'll talk about. And then the second Heat game, the Bucks were relatively in that game until, you know, I think it was like mid to late third quarter. And that's when their offense completely stalled. You know, Giannis couldn't get anything going. Chris couldn't hit any shots. Drew couldn't hit any shots. Everyone, like the offense just became very ball dominant. Like, I got this. I'm going to make the shot. I'm going to be that guy. And they weren't falling. That's when the Heat were able to go on their run. And th- that's just what happened with Milwaukee. So it was a little bit unfortunate there. And then the Chicago game, it was... It was the classic game against bad teams. Milwaukee hits a couple shots, gets out early, starts getting a little complacent. The other team maybe starts chipping their way back into it. But overall, I I think it just showed that Milwaukee's offense really is going to be the key difference, especially offense from their bench, because there's a lot of bench players that they have on their team that I don't think we would consider good defenders, and their one good defender is currently injured. So how Milwaukee's bench you know, makes that rotation, makes that change is going to be interesting. And I think we saw that last week as well as when the offense is good, the team can run away with it without even trying. And when it has moments of struggle, then other teams can kind of find their way back into the game or to extend leads if they have one. Yeah. Last week was uh, obviously a couple interesting matchups. The heat, the second heat game was a little, little troubling just given how much Goran Dragic was able to, to, carve us up again just a little frustrating to see that happen again and not see any any adjustments in that realm in terms of stopping the ball or or finding a way to to prevent the heat from attacking us that way but um i think like kyle said so far it's been a lot of if the bucks are ahead and they are their shots are falling then they are going to absolutely probably destroy an opponent there seems like there's been a ton of variance so far this year which doesn't help with us trying to read into the numbers and figure out what exactly is going to go, you know, going to be happening night to night. I'm pretty sure that um, Kevin Pelton had pointed out, like, you know, Bucks opponents either have either shot like above 38% or below 32% from three, you know, in almost like every game, which kind of makes it hard also to figure out where exactly opponents are going to land. Um, so the interesting thing about that is, of course, I feel like some of those trends continued this week. So the Bucks first matchup, they were, it was the first game on, on last Monday. So they beat the Pistons 125 to 115. Giannis has 43 points. Chris Middleton gets 19. Drew has 15.7 assists. Bucks uh, in that one, 
aren't as reliant on their three point shooting as they had been up to that point in the season. They go and they beat the beat the Pistons sixty two to forty two in terms of points in the paint. But that game, Kyle, it felt like was the first game this season that felt like you know a classic Giannis game. Yeah, I was actually kind of thinking about that in terms of Giannis was still you know by other players' standards really really good, but by his really really high standards, not so much. And then you see in this Pistons game. That completely changes them. Part of it is because the Pistons, despite signing 90 million centers during the offseason, didn't get one that is a good rim protector. Plus, Blake Griffin was out that game, so you didn't have to deal with the habitual line stepping and pettiness from Blake Griffin as well, which was helpful. And it you kind of saw once Giannis was able to get to the rim at ease, then they had to you know pack the paint a little bit more, and they didn't have to hit as many threes in this game compared to the second game. But those threes at least open it up a little bit. You see Giannis getting to the paint. You see Drew's get, able to get to the paint. DJ Augustine is able to get to the paint. Bobby Portis can get to the paint. Everyone, even Thanos has got eight points and they're all done. So Detroit's <laughs> lack of rim protection was very evident in this game. And I think that's why Milwaukee was able to... I mean, this game was not as close as the score may indicate. And I think it was only because Giannis and the starters didn't really play much in the third quarter that this lead even got trimmed down to what it did. So I think it helps when, yeah, 62 point in the paint. That's probably the highest Milwaukee's had in a while, I feel like. Even last year, I, I felt as though they didn't get that many points in the paint. Maybe like when Malcolm Brogdon and Eric Bledsoe and Giannis were all there was the last time. But it was good to see, and Detroit's offense is just very, very sad. It's kind of just have to <laughs> both do whatever you can and hope for the best, I guess. It's, it's games like these, small sample size theater. I'm just looking on basketball reference right now. So Thanasis, he played for five minutes and 20 seconds in that game. Uh, so actually the first one, Kyle, I think he only had two points, which are from the free throw line. He got eight in the second. But in his five minutes, Thanasis had a true shooting percentage of 1.136. So over 100% true shooting. He had an offensive rating of 250. Come on. Is that a league record for five minutes played 250 offensive rating? So, you know. Does that indicate that Thanasis is the missing piece? We'll discuss later. But echoing a lot of what Kyle said, um, in both of the Pistons games, Giannis had decent games. And even with Brooke, or not Brooke Lopez, um, even with uh, Blake Griffin in the second game, like they're just too limited athletically. And it could be like Isaiah Stewart. He's like, again, as we talked about in our small draft preview he has a two inch vertical and like he's a big beefy guy but i'm not sure if he's necessarily like athletic enough to try and keep up with Giannis unless he's tackling him um and so it, it was good to see Giannis really break out and I, I thought that also then bled into the utah game as well especially in the first half and so this whole week started off by the pistons game was a really good Giannis week and i think you know part of it is again how much of it is we're still trying to find our place in the offense and how is Giannis trying to <clears throat> excuse me fit in with Drew and Chris especially and everybody seems to be kind of taking their turns and for whatever reason I guess the Pistons Giannis got started got really hot right off the you know right out of the gates and once it kind of got rolling it was like well just keep feeding Giannis because they literally besides getting drilled every time he went into the paint they couldn't do anything to actually stop his scoring and it you know, like Kyle said, if if he's going to put up 40-some points, 
for the most part, the team's going <laughs> to do re- relatively well. It's not like a Bradley Beal situation where he's like, you know, taking 80 shots to get to the 40 points and being like, I can't believe we lost because I took the 80 shots and I only got 40 points off of that. You know, Giannis is extremely efficient when he's scoring like that and that, you know, it just rising tide lifts all boats essentially. And as people have discussed before, the Pistons, they have a lot of good veteran players. They have like some interesting young guys. Jeremy Grant is has been really good since he got there. And I think 10 games in, he's like scored over like 22 points in every game. Like it's been really good this year. Um, but good enough to hang around, not good enough to necessarily close and win is going to be Detroit's thing. And that kind of showed out in the two Pistons games or in the two games earlier last week. Yeah, it was uh I got to be honest. I feel really bad. I do feel really bad for the Detroit fans. Like I I I it's st- one Killian Hayes went down in the first game mm-hmm. and seemed yeah. to suffer an injury with his hip that's going to leave him out basically for the whole season, which really stinks. I like Sadiq Bay. I liked him coming into the draft. He looks pretty solid. But mm-hmm. like your guy Siku Dumboya only gets who you draft you know, mid-range last year and looks pretty good. Only has 13 mm-hmm. minutes in the second game, scores zero points, almost gets a trillion because he gets two rebounds, one assist, one block, not the best. Uh, I mean, but also it's just like, I just felt so bad that they had so many random players that I was like, oh, wait, he's there now? And the mm-hmm. same thing happened in the Cavs. I was like, Dion Wright's a piston? I kind of forgot about that. Wayne Ellington. Mm-hmm. Remember when he was like the guy that every championship chaser wants to get? Now he's just in Detroit, just whittling away. Mason Plumley, Jaleel Okafor, Rodney Magruder. I didn't know that he wound up in Detroit. God, mm-hmm. there's just a lot yeah. of players that felt bad for ending up in Detroit. It's that's now 13 games in a row that the Bucks have beat the Pistons. If you count the playoffs, which is an outrageous streak. The second game was a little more. Was I don't know. I don't even think the second game was quite as interesting as the first. There was more balanced yeah. scoring across the across the roster, Blake being back brought something to it. But What was interesting was the fact that both Jim and Marcus were looking to see how many mentions of Blake Griffin looks like a broken bum per minute. Because I mean, it was every minute. They're like, you can tell Blake's having difficulty. He can't move. He can't move. Laterally, he's having difficulty. Marcus is like, oh, look at him. Look at him. He's laboring up and down the floor. I'm like, Jesus Christ, going in on this guy. So, I mean, it was less interesting just because Blake is obviously a huge shell of his former self. Like, it's either threes or, like, sort of pump fakes and trying to pass to other guys, which is sad. Uh, and I, I think it is indicative of Stan Van Gundy really f that franchise, like, in a major way. Um, and the Blake Griffin show, not looking good. And so you're right that this game was – even less interesting just because Blake is so limited, but because of his contract and the stature, he has to play, but he can't do much. And so is essentially playing like a level of four on five against the Pistons. And if that's going to be the case, I mean, Jeremy Grant again, had a really good game, but it felt like it was never really in doubt. Um, especially all the minutes that Blake was out there, whether Giannis was defending him or likewise, it's just, there wasn't anything he could give him. And if that's going to be the case, you're going to have a tough time. Yeah, it's kind of tough because with Blake Griffin, it's not like you could really trade him at this point. His value is probably the lowest you could ever imagine for him. So that makes it tough, and I will agree. Marcus saying Blake used to be jumping over Kia's, and now he needs a Kia to get up and down the court was just completely unnecessary slander that I am for. Just brutal, brutal stuff by Marcus Johnson. I will say the one, the one good thing about that second game, and I mean it's against the Pistons, so whatever, but... Um, 
I think the Bucks had a season high 35 assists. The ball was re- really moving around uh, the court that night. Tons of extra passes. I mean, like Bobby Portis was making solid extra passes all night, and I've actually been a little – I enjoyed seeing him, you know, being willing to move the ball around, I think probably more than I anticipated coming into the season. Um, he had 16 points in that one, so a solid bench effort. But that game in particular, we kind of saw DJ Augustine also sort of – at least at, for the first time this season, kind of look like the sort of bench point guard guy we could maybe see. Once again, it was against the Pistons, but six assists for him. I mean, ideally, I think that's kind of what you would hope from him. And he had a little bit of that, a little bit of juice like that in the third quarter. But I would say even even more in particular, um, you look at the starting lineup. I mean, four assists for Giannis, seven for Chris, five for Brooke, six for Drew. Just one for Dante, um, but I mean, you look across those other four. They were all Dante had like twenty five hockey assists, so you know, don't worry about that. Uh, <laughs> but all the rest, I mean, you can see that clearly the team was really it was really moving around that night. And they were able to find the open man, which I think is when this Bucks offense is, is definitely at its best. I would agree, and you can definitely tell the trio. Now you just said like Dante, for example, he didn't have the numbers there, but he's looking to make the passes. And the trio of Chris, Drew, and Dante when they're out there, whether it be in transition or penetrating, and then trying to find either there's somebody else who's cutting with them or they're trying to kick it out. I've been very impressed with. You can again. This goes back to the difference between Drew and Eric. Where last year Eric would overcommit to whatever it is and sometimes his pass would get out to whoever it is you know it's not like he was horrific or anything but the measured pace of drew holiday when he starts going towards the paint he's always reading what the teammates are doing and he has no problem making relatively difficult passes in traffic um, to get somebody else who's under the basket for example and that was on display in the detroit game that was on display in the cleveland game for example um, and e- even Giannis got in on it a little bit where he maybe he wasn't scoring as dominant as he did in the first game, but he seems to have been so far this season committed a little bit more to attempting the passes, whether that be committing to a passing out pretty quickly once he starts driving or just, you know, getting the pass passing on to somebody else immediately on the perimeter. Um, and I, I I think that's kind of double-edged because it looks really good when it looks good, but because guys are still figuring things out, there might be a little bit where the offense gets a little clogged up because they're trying to figure out maybe doing one too many passes, um, taking a little bit too much time to find the right read or you know make the right attempt or just go for it. Um, but I think you would take too much ball movement now while we're trying to figure things out than not enough and it getting too sticky. Yeah, absolutely. Well, a couple of thumpings on the Pistons was nice to see from the uh, from the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, the next game was obviously a little more disappointing. Bucks fall to the Utah Jazz, 118-131. Giannis has a pretty good night in that one, 35 points, 8 rebounds, 4 assists. 25 of those came in the first half. Uh, but he also fell on a pretty hard uh, rebound when he tried to go up and grab the ball um, from, I think it was, I think he either grabbed the ball or like foul Rudy Gobert and he fell to the ground, hit his hip on the ground, which looked really bad. And that kept him out from the Cleveland game with back spasms. But regardless, Chris has 31 in that one, drew a 17 points, Brooke four of 12 from, from deep. Um, but I didn't think it seemed that bad to me. It seemed like most of his threes, at least in the first half were in the, within the flow of the offense, but uh, I mean, the story from this one, Riley, is the Jazz make a set a new franchise record for them. 25 three-pointers, 25 of 52 from beyond the arc, 47.3%. Bucks just 13 of 42, 31%. And uh, it, it was pretty glaring all night that that was the, the major issue. 
I think it, it's a beautiful thing that we're out here trying to help. We're trying to get in as many record books as we can, not always for good reasons, but we are looking to get in as many record books as possible for every franchise. And that's a beautiful thing for us. Um, it was kind of strange. Like, yeah. so Jordan Clarkson had a really, really good game. I didn't know that Jordan Clarkson became like a really good, like Lou Will-esque bench scorer. So good for him. Um, there was... I think it was in the second quarter, Dante was like bodying him up and Jordan Clarkson like like indicates like, oh, you want to like do this or whatever. And then like Jordan Clarkson like drew the foul or whatever. I was like, oh, that's kind of a downer. Um, but it, it, it was just, it's strange because this is the first game where if you watch the offense, Drew didn't do a really good job um, being especially like a weak side help defender. There were a lot of possessions where, you know, Mike Conley, all it took was like two screens and he kind of pops and somebody finds him and Drew either loses him or is too committed to like, you know, attacks the pick incorrectly or just kind of like goes into the paint too much. And so once your lead guard defender like Drew, he kind of sags off or isn't paying as close of attention and it gets going. It just, again, it, it kind of, catastrophically goes from there there were a lot of tough shots that utah made but for whatever reason i don't know it's strange because maybe it's rudy gobert's presence that throws off the drop scope drop zone defense but it's like again too much overhelping from everybody like i know it's tough for bobby portis to like one man band against uh rudy gobert just because of the size difference but a little bit too much help defense and a little bit too much like paying attention to whoever the penetrating attacker is. It did not help that Thanasis had quite a few minutes and Thanasis might have some of the worst positioning on both ends of the floor I've seen from a professional player in a long time. Um, so it's like combining that lackadaisical defense, not really paying attention to you guys on the perimeter, that all combines together. Part of it was scheme, but I think a lot of it also you could chalk up to poor execution. Um and so is this like a outlier? Yes, because they set a franchise record. Um, but is it an outlier that we've come used to because of the system or is it an outlier because execution is poor? Kind of tough to determine which way it went. Yeah, I didn't really watch any of this game. So for me, it was kind of <laughs> checking it on Twitter periodically. But I think it this game could best be described as it can't be an outlier shooting night if you play bad enough defense to give the other team good looks from three. Now, Jordan Clarkson going off, that that definitely is either he's going to hit every shot or he's not going to hit every shot. That's just who he has as a player. But if your defensive scheme, and especially against Quinn Snyder, who I don't know what it is, it's like he is able to draw plays like that double hammer, like the hammer screens and all that. It always seems to give the guys on the Jazz a bunch of open looks. So it's kind of hard to say it's not like shooting night when you keep giving them open looks and at some point they're going to drain them all. And yeah, and that's just the execution side of it for Milwaukee. You know, I think the scheme can work. It's just when you're not executing it well, or there's a team that can specifically exploit it, then that makes it difficult to know to what extent is this preventable. And yeah, when you have Bobby Portis and Thanasis kind of as your backup bigs, it's not going to look pretty on your on your side, so it is what it is. I did kind of laugh because when I was checking Twitter, it was the usual meltdowns from people. And I thought we decided the regular season didn't matter. So if the regular season didn't matter, why are we so freaked out about this? I am not one of those. But it was just funny seeing the Fire Bud Brigade back out there. And I was like, well, we know this is going to happen. I was like, if we know this, then why do we – 
get so worked up about it if we don't care about the regular season. I I 100% agree that I don't think it's an outlier. I don't think this game felt like an outlier at all. I thought there was an egregious amount, like you said, Riley, of absolutely terrible execution. Drew not going out and, and guarding guys weak side. If you watched any of the pick and roll coverage, every single time they were going under, which is makes no sense. That's not what generally not what Bud wants his guards to do. And they were continually going under, which was giving free looks to for Donovan Mitchell to shoot it. And, you know, he's not shooting super well this year, 32% from three coming into that game. But you give a guy like that a chance that with a little bit of air, he's going to hit it. Um, you know, the, the thing, there's a good article on The Athletic, if you have a subscription to The, subscription to the Athletic by Eric Name about the pick and roll coverage and how they used Utah used their guards in this game as opposed to their bigs to run the pick and roll coverage, which makes it a little bit harder Um you know, because both of those guys are, you know, threats and, and just gums up a, a little bit of the, the Bucks defense a little. But the thing about this game that seemed clear to me is that Bud is trying different stuff on the pick and roll coverage. Like you saw him switch occasionally, right? You saw them go to switching a little bit in the second half. We've seen this a little bit more this year. But if you watch closely, you can see him try different stuff with different guys um, based on you know, what some of their strengths are. Zora Stevenson even had like a little bit in the game about this, about how Brooke is trying to acclimate to this defensive scheme because he specifically said, Bud is trying different things out with different people trying to match it to their strengths. So for example, you'll see switching occasionally with players. You know, sometimes we'll see that you definitely see Brooke coming up and guarding way higher up or hedging a little bit more, way more this season than I remember last, but especially you'll see him do it against like the, the most, the clearest example was against Steph Curry in that Christmas day game. Go back and watch that. You see just with, just when Steph is in the game, Brooke is going up way higher when he's not in the game, then you're, then you're obviously pushing back, which shows you that at the very least, Bud is trying some other stuff. Now, one thing I don't like that Bud feels like he's trying is the Thanasis pick and roll coverage. Thanasis is like, tasked with like blitzing he's trying like the j kid blitzing scheme which is like i I just was getting i was getting some flashbacks to the j kid scheme in that game when they were like making one or two extra passes and players were like flying all over the court trying to recover back to a three-point shooter in the corner we what you have to ask is is that a budenholzer special or is that the nasus calling his own number (laughs) like it's the nasus time (laughs) I, i wonder that too it might be both Yes, it very well could be both, but it felt like I've seen it a few times, and I'm like, I don't see a lot of other players where they're like blitzing and trapping. <laughs> I don't know. All of a sudden, he's just kind of like like he's running from like one side all the way to the other. I don't really know what's going on with him. Oh, I, I I don't think he knows what's going on with him. I, I so to your wider point outside of Thanasis, um, I think you can also say the experimentation defensively. There has been a little bit of experimentation offensively as well. So I, I want to give a shout out to site co-overlord uh, Mitchell. He said yesterday, he was like, oh, you can you can really tell that they're using Brooke, especially differently offensively, um, a lot more in the corners. Um, they're running him a lot more actions. And, you know, so I went and I rewatched part of the Utah game before we um, recorded this morning. You could definitely tell, like, that really stood out there. Now, he got up 12 three-point attempts. He only made four of them. But the like the structuring of the offense is slightly different. And part of that is because trying to figure out the ball handling responsibilities between Giannis, Drew, and Chris, but they're doing a lot more like off ball action. It feels like, especially to free up Brooke. It's not necessarily like in the past, it felt like it was pretty directly either 
Brooke walks up into a three or it's like a one pass off like screen and pop or something like that. This they're running a lot of off ball actions and things like that to free him up, especially in the corners, which I think is interesting. Um, maybe it's a little maddening to us who advocate for Brooke doing a lot more inside, but you know, as annoying as the three point barrages have been, I don't think we can fairly say that Boonholzer is doing nothing differently at all. Um, it's just, it's very piecemeal so far and it, it, it's subtle compared to what we've seen last year. It's different, but it's not so radically where if you tuned in this week and you tuned in sometime last year, we're like, well, it's, it's a lot of it looks very similar, but it, I think slowly, but surely they're adding a little bit more on, on both ends of the floor. And I think it's one thing when it's a Giannis or Eric pull up three early on the shot clock type of three compared to a wide open three for Brooke a wide-open three for Bryn Forbes or Chris or even Drew. Like, the guys that are taking the wide-open threes, they're good shots. You want them taking those shots. Like I said, other than Giannis taking pull-up threes, you can't really complain about the looks that Milwaukee's getting, which I think is more a wrinkle in the offense just because they, they're able to play a little bit more at the flow of the offense. They're able to kind of pick their passes more. And I think a big part of that is, like what you said earlier, Riley, Drew – being more the calm side of it compared to Eric, where it was kind of over, like doing too much. So I don't think there's Brooke taking 12 threes isn't a bad thing if they're, if most of our open looks. Like you can't really complain about that. That's exactly what you want Brooke to do in this offense. Yeah, Drew, I, I, it's, it finally don't, I mean, obviously there's a lot of differences, but like the big thing that's stood out to me lately in terms of the, the Drew Eric comparison is, is like Eric would get in close to the pain and he would try and finish either with his strength, which worked pretty well, or he would definitely do a lot more floaters over a big man and try and do it. Whereas Drew, even if he's like right in the weeds, feels intent on keeping his dribble and getting as close to the bat underneath the basket as possible and then trying to lay it in. That just seemed like a big, obviously a huge difference. Um, but, you know, the defense is going to be the most interesting question for this team, I think. All season thus far, that has been the biggest problem. They ranked sort of middle of the pack in terms of defensive rating and points per possession. Now it's incredibly early. When you look at the rankings, it's like Boston and Utah and Miami are all in the teens as well. The top team in terms of defensive rating right now is the Cleveland Cavaliers, which I don't think you would have expected. New York is up there. New Orleans Pelicans are up there. Like there's a lot of teams up there that you wouldn't expect. That's all going to that's that's going to be a snow globe. That's going to shuffle, and then the, I think the proper teams are going to fall into the top there. But the Bucks, obviously, that's going to be one of the biggest questions all season, given that's kind of been. Well, I don't know. It's interesting. That was definitely not their downfall in the Toronto series. It was probably their downfall last year. Um, but we still need to see some more offensive diversity. And I feel like you were getting, you were saying that right, Riley, is that we're seeing a little bit more of that. But what about from the bench? Like, do you feel like we're seeing enough from the bench players thus far? Or do you feel like they're still sort of acclimating and trying to, like, they're not even close to being into their actualized roles on this team? So I feel bad because we had a week off for the holidays. The week prior, I think I had already declared that Bryn Forbes was a bum. 
Uh, Bryn, I want to apologize. I still don't think you're a great defender, but you're trying at least, and you're making threes, which is good. And pretty much what you're, this is very reminiscent to when I almost started the segment of like, I'm done with this guy with Wes Matthews, six games into the season. So, you know, jumping the gun, <laughs> I'm used to that for the bench guys. Um, more promising in the past couple of weeks. I still think the one who's struggling most is DJ Augustine. And that, I think he's almost like, he's trying to do too much. Like, there's just a lot of, like, dribbling and traffic. I'm like, well, this is cool to watch. And then, like, he'll turn it over because he dribbled too much or, like, committed too much on a pain. I'm like, well, if he just did, like, 10 to 15% less dribbling, it probably would have been, like, way more efficient for the offense. But even him, I mean, you've seen – I think it's – it's everybody's gelling into the roles. Bryn Farb's relatively straightforward. Shoot threes. I wish he didn't walk into like long twos all that often, but hopefully he'll work on that throughout the season. And that's not the end of the world. It's a long season. Uh, Bobby Portis really, I mean, he, uh, continues to be a strange guy. Uh, still not sure how I feel about it. I'm not sure if I'm on board the Bobby Portis train like a lot of other people are, but you know, he's been fun as like a crazy guy. So that's cool. Um, I'm trying to think of who else is like Jordan Wara. We didn't talk about him during that second Detroit game. He, he had like, I think 11 points. He had a couple of like nice possessions in the second quarter. I think they're gelling slowly, but surely I, the main issue is going to be like against big bodies. It, it, there's not a lot of teams that feature guys like that, but like, let's say we played the Sixers. We're definitely undersized. If for whatever reason they decided to like, you know, if we had to do like a lot of Bobby Portis minutes, I think he has difficulty if we're in our current rotation DJ Augustine, he's struggling as well, but I, I don't think that's unexpected for a true point guard trying to understand his role, especially with how fluid we happen to be with like our guard rotation or like the way that guards play for the most part. Um, so they're getting there. I wouldn't say I've been blown away necessarily, but um, they're not bums, so that's good, I guess. That's, that's the main thing we gained from these past two weeks is we don't have a bum bench, I guess. I... The thing with the bench, and this is a good thing and an adjustment that Budenholzer has made, he has not gone to his all-bench lineups as frequently as he did last year. Now, last night was an exception. I know there's a stretch where he had four bench guys and Brooke Lopez. Not ideal. But this year, he's made sure to try and keep at least two of Giannis, Chris, and Drew on the floor at the same time. So it's kind of tough when you have that. And you don't necessarily, and you bring in a couple of bench guys. Well, the offense is still going to go through one of those three guys. Like that's just, it's just kind of hard for the bench to really chip in with points or anything unless you're Bobby Portis. Who I I am impressed with him so far. He's worked hard. He runs to the rim hard. I think at least his shot selection, it's a good shot selection. A lot of it's around the rim or corner threes. I'm not going to be too upset about that with him. Um, DJ Augustine, I think he is trying to do too much. And especially last night when he was with that all bench lineup, it's kind of like he's looking around and, all right, I guess I'm going to have to be the one to do something, which can lead him to force a pass that maybe he wouldn't have made otherwise, um, forces him to kind of invent more of the offense. Bryn, I've been saying all year, if he hit, if the shots fall, he's going to be really useful and helpful for the team. If it doesn't, it's going to be a little bit tougher. And then, the other issue, though, is Bud's been playing Thanasis a lot of minutes, so that really hurts the bench. He played Pat Connaughton early on a lot of minutes, which is going to be there a below average showing. You know, Jordan Wara, he's gotten his chances in the Detroit, second Detroit game. He did pretty well in the first Detroit game, not so much. 
it's really DJ Wilson was coming in early, got left out in the cold, comes in last night against Cleveland, looks pretty good. So I think it's also tough because other than DJ Augustine, Bobby Portis, and maybe Bryn Forbes, there's not really another bench person that you can kind of look at and see, yeah, this guy is going to be able to do all of these things. And when they're on the floor with Giannis, Chris, and Drew, there's less opportunities for them to kind of make that impact. So I'm not necessarily worried about the bench at the moment, but there are definitely things I'm curious about, at least as the season goes on, how their involvement in the offense changes. Yeah, let's talk about Thanasis getting getting these minutes. What is this, Riley? Is this just like a, you know, third week of the season we're all kind of looking for something to get angry about and Bud is playing him uh, and it'll be gone, you know, 25 games into the season? Or, or what's your feeling on it? I think what we're seeing right now, the delay in the Giannis negotiations, I think we know what the secret clause was. Thanasis has got to play at least 15 minutes a game average over the season. I think we finally, we know what held up the Supermax. So part of it is because Torrey Craig broke his nose like two minutes into like his first real burn uh, this season. So we're kind of, we're down a guy there. Um, I don't know what to make of it. I think it really is just like a bodies thing. Um, He plays... <laughs> what a bad he's such a bad player and like so the main thing that i took away was he's a very bad player uh i appreciate that he's energy but he's just he can't dribble he's very bad at positioning if he's on offense he cannot stand still like and not saying like the cases he is stand like isn't standing still he stands still you should not be doing that if you're thanasis you cannot space all you can do is cut, really, or, like, try and drag your guy around. So just, like, I want to see him literally just run in circles around the entire court. <laughs> I just do not stop anywhere. Just keep moving, dude. Like, what are you doing out there? You don't sit baseline. You're, like, six foot six or whatever he is. Like, he's going to go up and dunk. I know he likes dunking that, dudes. But he's just – he's a subpar player, and he's getting minutes because we don't have bodies. And part of that is, as Kyle just said, our bench is, like, essentially three guys. Like DJ, uh, DJ Augustine, Bobby Portis, Bryn Forbes, and Bryn Forbes and Pat are going to be like interchangeable. Otherwise, right now we don't have a bench, and so Thanasis is obviously going to get minutes. I think it's getting a lot of minutes, but we also there's this, a certain aspect of early on in the season not caring too much about the results so much, and more so like let's try and keep the minutes down a little bit for these guys. So I get why he's getting minutes. It's ugly. I do not understand where there is a Thanasis stand group coming from. Like whenever you tweet like, wow, Thanasis is bad. There are actual people. I hope they're like shit posting, but if they're not, they're like really advocating like, oh, Thanasis isn't as bad as you say. Like, come on, man. Open your eyes. Watch what he's doing. He's it's nothing personal. He's just a not good player. It is personal. I'm still mad that we signed him, but I guess as long as you got the super maxes, who cares, right? So it's just I really don't think it's going to be by design throughout the season. It's just an expedient thing to do right now, and it's just annoying because it's very obviously not a good like bench option for us. Yeah, I had said at the beginning of the season, you might as well just let Thanasis play because you can't be worse than Pat Connaughton. And I've been wrong. I've been really, really wrong. And yikes, I apologize. I'm still <laughs> not saying play Pat more minutes. 
I'm just saying I was wrong about the Nasus. Let's give it to Tory Craig. Let's give it to DJ Wilson. Let's give it to Jordan Wara. Just give those minutes to those guys. At the very least, you can see a skill set from those guys compared to Thanasis. Thanasis' skill set is chaos. Not like Bobby Portis' chaos. It's just like Thon Maker when he can't hold the ball or catch a ball. Chaos. It's just, it's not good. And yes, we needed bodies, and I get that. But hopefully when with Connaughton back and you know Merrill comes back healthy, we start seeing less and less of Thanasis and at least seeing what Wara and Merrill can provide as rookies. Hopefully Tory Craig can come back and he gets minutes that he probably should have gotten since day one. But yeah, it's it's not fun. It's not fun watching. Do you guys remember very early on, right after we signed Thanasis, so it was gross because the team had to pretend that it was something other than an ultimate grift which is fine. I know they got to do what they got to do. But then there were people who were like, Thanasis might be the guy that locks up Paul George in the finals. I was like, are we collectively losing our goddamn minds? So I I, I salute the, the Thanasis stands. And I, we probably are. He is going to get menaces here because we have nobody. But um, he's just he's a circumstance of the fact that we have a much thinner bench really at the end of the day. It's maddening to watch, but that's as long as we remember that in context, it's just like, who else are we going to play out there right now? Um, that helps make it easier watching. Plus, if you if you put on the Yakety Sax like, tune in the background, if you turn down Marcus and Jimmy, you put on Yakety Sax, it's a lot more fun to watch. Just watch what Thanasis is doing. Yeah, it's tough. There's not – you know, the, the bench is significantly less deep than it was last year, quite clearly. I'm not entirely sure. I mean, look, DJ Wilson was basically – he looked like okay in the first game, but then he was basically a nothing. So I'm not like super surprised that Bud was – just wanted to kind of swap it out and hope that someone else could show some energy in there. I think the issue for guys like Wara or Merrill is – Merrill came and played like five minutes of meaningful basketball and like essentially looked like he didn't belong on the court. And then another time he – couldn't bring the ball past half court against a, a a defender, which was not a good look for him. Jordan Wara has looked has some decent stuff offensively, but the real issue is that the quickest way to minutes as a rookie is being able to play defense. And if you watch, just go back and watch this Wara's minutes in the second quarter of the Jazz game. It's a travesty. It's absolutely atrocious. Uh, just messing up pick and roll coverage here and there, just screwing up switches, terrible communication. Um, you will hear Marcus Johnson then lavish praise on him later as an on-ball defender for one possession. Do not let that cloud your view. Watch the earlier possessions. Okay, Mar- Marcus. Marcus is letting Marcus is letting his emotions cloud his judgment because in the Detroit game he was. I think he's a big fan of him, which is fine. Like that's totally cool. But like every time, so Jordan Ward did that like step back, step back three or whatever. He's like, if you're a rookie and you're taking that, you got to make it. Otherwise, you're not getting minutes for the rest of the game or whatever. And like then after that, again, it kind of ramped up. And like every time Jordan Ward like. You know, he touched the ball. Marcus is like, oh, oh, watch out. Watch out here. Like, he's just, he's really excited. And you're right. That's a good warning, Adam. Like, don't get as caught in. Marcus is a good analyst and he knows what he's talking about. But he also, he is rooting for this guy. And (laughs) I remember Jim also, like, was really gassing up Jordan War. Like, he just kind of, like, stopped, stepped in front of, like, Jordan Clarkson and stopped him. And he was like, oh, on ball, body and body in him. Like, well, I mean, that's better than nothing, I suppose. Look, it's a Milwaukee tradition to overhype your second-round picks. 
<laughs> it's what we got to do. We got lucky with Malcolm Brogdon. He lived up to that hype. But it is a Bucks tradition. You have to hype up your second-round pick. And, and to be absolutely fair, he's already shown way more than Rashad Vaughn did in his entire career as a Buck. So, I mean... Well, besides that one, like, 22-point game. 20-point game against the Nets? <laughs> well, and he also had, like, a 20-point game against the Bulls. And that was, like, I remember listening to that game on the radio and be like, I think Rashad Vaughn has finally figured it out. And uh, <laughs> we never got back to that heights. So I would say in a consistency, like, in doing something other than one skill, Jordan Warris seems to have shown uh, – a little bit more propensity than Rashad Vaughn did. So it's not like Wara is an utter disaster. Like he's gotten okay minutes offensively, but you're right. That defense is a, uh, it's a work in progress for sure. I think we are all fortunate that we didn't have, well, we're not fortunate Ter- terrible stuff. happened. But if we had had summer league this year, I think Wara would have came in and been like, we need this guy as a sixth man. Like, well, this is our this is our Lou Williams. This is our absolute microwave scorer we waited years for. I mean, did you see him go 13 for 37 in that summer league game? We know this guy can put up numbers. I mean, it's crazy. Him uh, and DJ Wilson just killing it on summer. Well, if we didn't struggle in summer league, we'd have been like, what the hell are we doing? DJ Wilson back for his fourth summer league. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think, so we, we I think... I don't know. Do you guys want to talk about the Cleveland game uh, real quick? But like, yeah, give us give us the summary, Kyle, because I thought you really you summed it up really well in the group chat last night. Summarize it for us. It was an ugly basketball game between one team that had no healthy point guards besides like one player. At one point, this team had a lineup of Dotson, Thon, Larry Nance Jr., Andre Drummond. And maybe some other person. It was a lot of bigs. And the Bucks did not have Giannis. They were sloppy. They were reckless. This was an ugly game. And Milwaukee had the better players. And that's all we got to say about it. I believe, don't quote me on this, but I, I want to say maybe my eyes were playing tricks. I thought J.B. Bickerstaff played a lineup that had Andre Drummond, JaVale McGee, Anthon Maker all out there. I was like. It was Drummond, McGee. Larry Nance, Vaughn, and Damian Dotson, I think. And, and it was probably a 45-second lineup, but it did happen. And that's really – that's the thing that threw line. So based off of that, we don't have to talk about the game other than that, but there are two topics that stem from that. Chris Middleton, the positive topic, and DJ Wilson, the negative topic. At Which one do you guys want to tackle first? Wait, how is DJ Wilson the negative topic? Yeah, well – so the thing about DJ is, as we've discussed, fourth-year player, we have Thanasis playing a lot of minutes. We have no bodies. I don't. I think DJ Wilson is still not an NBA player, guys. I think that's the thing that's been driven home. He had some early minutes, but I, I think we can officially wave the white flag. Uh, not an NBA player was my main takeaway so far this season. I'll say he is an end-of-the-bench player, which I guess is almost to the point not an NBA player. He's... I can see at least some tangible skills with him. They're just not good. But at least you can see a floor game develop. You can see him take a couple jump shots. He's he is very much an end of the bench. He's probably going to just bounce around. If he stays in the league, it's going to be on a lot of minimum salaries where he bounces around or he'll get a two-way contract, maybe do well in summer league and get another chance. I, I think he's an NBA player. He's just very much like the 14th, 15th guy. 
I mean, oh, did you did you just say he's got to go back for his fifth summer league? Is that <laughs> is that what you said? You gotta do what you gotta do. Make it, <laughs> make yourself look good. All right. Well, I think DJ is not a good player, uh, and that's just we've known that. But I think this season has also driven that home. I don't know, Adam. Do you have any DJ Wilson thoughts? Maybe you're more positive on him than me. No, I mean at the very least, like the guy offers a modicum of of offensive ability you know if like if the Gnosis is you know the the hourglass is completely empty there's like a small grain of sand holding on to dj wilson's um you know (laughs) (laughs) i mean he can i mean there are some he can he at least like hit a shot right like he like hit a three Mm -hmm. and grant the Gnosis hit a three in that you know record-breaking heat game um but wilson at the very least you see him do some it's just it's just some of the the thing that just drives me up a wall with him is like you have you just had you had one job just like learn how to shoot threes from an NBA range, which seemed like the only thing you could do. And then in the freaking Cavs game, he gets a pick and pop. It's wide open. He's like, oh, should I take it? He hesitates. Instead, lets his defender get back to him. Decides to pump fake, drive in, do like a random pull up from 19 feet, and it's like that's why you are not getting any NBA minutes. Like it, it was, it was simple. You, you had it set up for you. You just need to shoot that shot. Uh, so I, I don't know. I, he's clearly not going to be the answer. If he's in the rotation, playoff rotation, that's an issue. Uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> all, right, all I know is he's keeping Ursan's seat in the rotation nice and warm for him. Keep going, DJ. That's what I like to see. Wait, before we do, Chris, I do want to have an honest discussion about that. What it, it, it 100% feels like we're definitely – at the very least, a man short, right? Like we all we all agree. Oh yeah. yeah oh my god, yes. They need a large body to at the very least give Brooke a chance to catch a breather because Bobby Ports at the Nassau's guarding centers is not going to work. They need a big body of some type. That's that's gonna be the main difficulty is determining is it gonna be another like forward to spell Giannis minutes or is it gonna be like a legitimate center as I think. So I think they should trend towards a center. Just because I think the bigger the body, the better, and maybe that'll give you a little bit more flexibility. But you, you're totally right, Kyle. That I'm not too worried. Looking at it now, I'm not worried about the guard rotation. Like, yes, they're hot and cold, but for the most part, that seems fine. Um, and even like the small forward rotation, it's just kind of piecemeal working it out. But you're totally right. The big, we're definitely missing a guy for 100. percent If Bud is smart and plays Giannis and Chris and Drew a lot of minutes. There's not going to be many minutes to have for the three, four position. So you don't necessarily need a guy. And whatever you can throw in, Bobby and Connaughton and Bryn Forbes, even like you can make it work. But if, say, Brooke gets hurt, they are completely screwed in terms of having a competent defending center. Yeah. Who would, who would step up in that case? Would it be Giannis and Bobby? I guess Giannis would be the starting center. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Ursan, stay ready, my friend. That's the main thing. So the other topic I wanted to talk about, we didn't talk about Chris Middleton a lot for like these games. And I think it's just because he's been so excellent that what else is there to talk about? So I think I'm trying to pull up his stats from the past four games. So this whole season he's begun, but like this past four games, he made 54.2% of his three pointers. Uh, He looks, continues to be really good on ball. He's like fumbling a little bit more. I think again, maybe doing a little bit too much with dribbling. But, like, he's been abusing dudes who are isolated on him. He's looking to, like, orchestrate the offense. Um, I can't really say necessarily he's been, like, excellent on defense, but 
like he hasn't been an eyesore, so it's not jumping out that he's been bad on defense. So I think credit to Chris Middleton, another year into this big max contract for him. He's playing up to and probably at this point beyond the value of it, um, at least up to the value of how much he's getting paid. And, you know, if he's able to sustain this throughout the season, awesome. I, I think the question remains, is he going to be able to continue to be as confident on the ball and within the offense in the playoffs? And if these first 10 games are any sort of indication, he looks like he's ready to take that position. If that's going to be the case, again, it's going to help a lot more. And you have Drew coming online. I think him really taking another step forward is obviously really big for the team. Like, yes, we have a thin bench, but the top guys are so good that we're able to cover for it. Yeah. I would say at the very least, Chris is playing so that you look at his contract and it's not, you're not questioning why he got the contract, which was, I think, a concern a lot of us had. He's played at least to it. He's been really, really good. Even when I was checking the score of the Utah game, I think at one point in the second quarter, he was struggling with the shot and ended with 31 points. It was, it's that kind of game for him. And I think he's just picking his moments a lot better. You know, it, when he has a mismatch, he's going to take advantage of it. He's taken threes confidently. I think he's just more finding his rhythm offensively, which is really, really good for him and really, really good for the Bucks. And I think as Giannis had a little bit of a slower start, Chris came out from game one and has consistently, like I can't think of a bad Chris Milton game. I, I There's probably one, but I can't think of one off the top of my head where I was like, oh, wow, Chris was really, really bad. Maybe the, the second Miami game is the one that stands out. But overall, he's been, I think he's done exactly what we'd hope he does. And now it's just a matter of, can we make sure that he can do this in the playoffs as well? Yeah. And I I think the Cleveland game also was an underline to this because Cleveland was kind of hanging around for a little bit. Chris and Drew were a little bit cold in the first half, especially and then in the second half. I don't know if Chris went on like an 8-0 run himself, but it's essentially like whatever shot he wanted, attacking from the perimeter, whatever, like he was just, he was really in the flow of things. And it's not that he didn't have those moments last season, but it feels a lot more purposeful, especially because it's, it it seems he's doing a lot more like ball domination, which is not the end of the world. I don't think, you know, if if you're going to decide between Giannis dominating the ball and like dribbling around or Chris, I'd obviously choose Chris every single time. And, uh, you know, that that has helped paper over some of the issues as we continue to come along. And I think, you know, just wanted to give him credit for having such a good start to the season. Yeah, great point. I um, One of the things I really liked about his game thus far is it feels like he's being really purposeful with his drives and, you know, occasionally at least a turnover because he doesn't have like the tightest handle in traffic. But he's done a really good job, I thought, of spinning spinning into the lane, getting some really nice uh, lay-ins, showing a little bit more athleticism than we always see see from him. So that's been really good. Um, is there any any concern from you two that Drew against Cleveland only had like 15 points, hasn't exactly been like a scoring dynamo, and I know that's not exactly what we need him to be, but I don't know. Any, any thoughts there? The Cleveland game was just weird because – both Cleveland and Milwaukee, both they just look sluggish. Other than Bobby Portis in the first quarter, in which he almost outscored Cleveland entirely. He had 12 points in the first quarter, Cleveland at 14. It was just a very sluggish, ugly game. That could just be they had played the night before. They played, that was their fourth game in a week. Or, well, fifth. it was a fifth game within seven days. 
Maybe it was just like a little bit tired. Giannis was out, so it kind of forced Drew and Middleton and others to kind of step up. I, I, I don't I'm not too concerned because when the Bucks needed to get baskets in the third quarter, that's when Drew and Chris were able to start getting those. So I'm not too too concerned just because of the circumstances, but I I'm hoping this is a one-off and it's not a continuing trend. I'm not too concerned about it either. And the reason why I'm not concerned is we've seen, he hasn't been like an offensive scoring, like really big threat all season so far, but there have been so many other good things and good signs that you're seeing that I chalk it up more so to either figuring out his place. And also, again, I think, you know, there was a certain level of understanding that Eric, Chris, and Giannis kind of came to and everybody else who was around them as to like how to dole out the offensive load and credit to Eric. Like he was really, he was committed and he, he didn't have a problem like dominating a possession or whatever, like executing out a possession. Whereas I think Drew, as we talk about, he's very measured, but in being measured, he's been able to find a lot of other guys or like, you know, he's able to read a possession and usually get his shot or whatever, but it's not that he's committing to, I'm going to take the shot here if things look like 50, 50 for me. Um, and so the fact that there are other good things that he is doing offensively, um, I, I'm not too concerned about it. Again, I, I don't anticipate him being like a really big scoring threat on a night to night basis. I'm sure he's, he's already had like a 25 point game earlier this season and I'm, he'll probably have like a, maybe one or two 30 point games or something like that. But for the most part, I think he understands his role as the orchestrator and third option behind Giannis and Chris. Um, for a lot of different reasons, hierarchy, guys who have been here for a while, the way that they're able to play on the ball. And that's not the end of the world. That's actually what we're looking for is a less chaotic third guy. Um, and I think Drew has been that so far. And his defense has been fantastic. So When he, when he, when he pays attention. Yeah, when he pays attention. I, I'm not kind of – the Utah game, I will say that is a Drew. It's kind of weird. Defensively. Yeah. But throughout the season, his on-ball defense, the way he's able to just poke the ball out of the uh, ball hand or his hands – the way he's able to get into passing lanes, he's been really good defensively. So at least we got that. Yeah, man. Watching him and Dante are, is a lot of fun in the backcourt defensively. Like they, they are always in passing lanes. They're always getting deflections. I mean, Dante's shot kind of came back to earth finally, which like, thank God you don't have to talk about him. It's like the second best shooter in the league anymore. Like, uh-huh, I'm yeah. That's excised from the Bucks broadcast. But there's just, he just has a weird cavalier way about, playing basketball that it seems like every pass is just him like at the Y, like pretending to make like a cool little pass to someone. Like, I don't know. I, I like it. It feels like him and him and Drew are, are almost always looking to pass, which, which I like makes for fun basketball. Yeah. They're, uh, they're not super aggressive on defense, but you're totally right about like playing the passing lanes. I mean, that hasn't been, that hasn't dropped off for Dante at all. Like that was his calling card last season. That's been his calling card so far this season. Uh, you're right that it's it, unfortunately it doesn't seem like the George Hill 46% from three season is getting given to Dante this year, which is a bit of a downer. Um, but I, I think you know if we're going around for all the starters, I think even though Dante didn't have necessarily like the greatest numbers this past week, for example, um, he was still contributing defensively, and it's not for a lack of trying or like doing the wrong things necessarily for Dante. Um, it's just either the three pointers aren't falling or difficult guys like, uh, for example, like a Rudy Gobert when he's trying to drive inside. So kind of like a matchup dependent, not the end of the world that he's also had a rough week because I think there has been promise. I'm not sure if I would still say we've like necessarily 
I don't know, Bogdanovich has played really bad. So I'm not sure if you could say like we've won that non-trade, but for somebody who almost got traded, he's been, been like serviceable, pretty good for whatever, third-year guy. So shout out to Dante. Well, depending on that Bogdan injury, the Bucks might have won that trade just by default. So, Well, and we also found out that the Thanasis signing cost us a second-round pick given he's such good friends with Bogdan and clearly yeah. was behind the, uh, how, the recruitment how, efforts. How funny is that? I mean, chaos on the court and off the court. For whatever reason, the team was like, let's put Thanasis in charge of landing our free agents. And we're like, this is going to work. I thought that was really funny. The turn was like, it wasn't actually Giannis. It was Thanasis. I'm like, what are we doing out here? This guy is like our shadow GM too, apparently. Just just an absolutely weird that was that was a weird article overall, all of the all of his responses, all of that kind of stuff. Just like whatever. I feel a bit betrayed. you know who feels betrayed, Bogdan, us when we recorded that emergency podcast and you blew it up for a couple million dollars. I feel uh, betrayed. Uh, uh. Kyle put it best on Twitter, we won't be talking about Bogdan. <laughs> So, it's only for the Hawks. I don't want to talk about it. Anyway, yes, yeah, yeah. There we go. Uh, so that last thing, I think that's a lot of good Bucks chatter. Last thing um, we should definitely touch on is COVID nineteen is has obviously always been around. It impacted the Rockets right to start off the season was a, a reality check for everyone. But it's definitely seems to be becoming a little bit more entrenched through a few games. The Seventy Sixers played a game with basically eight bench players after there, they had to. Um, quarantine a bunch of people due to contact tracing um bradley beal it, because he spoke to jason tatum after a game apparently had to enter quarantine as opposed to any reason while they were actually playing basketball and having any contact on the court um i don't know it, it seems like it's it's slowly making its way into the nba and um i guess kyle we should probably expect it to at some point potentially impact the bucks Unless you plan on doing a bubble like they did this past playoffs, this is going to happen. Players are going to get it, possibly through no fault of their own. Like, they could easily just go into the gym, go to practice, play a game, whatever, go home, and they can still get it, whether it's because someone else possibly got it without being asymptomatic. Maybe someone that they're living with has to, you know, go out into the workforce, and they don't have the luxury of working from home, so they might have a chance of picking up. Maybe, I don't know, they took like an Uber or something. Like, there's so many factors that we can't really expect them. Like like Bobby Porter said, you can do all you can to not, like, to avoid it. It's still possible to get it. And unless you do the bubble, this is just reality. I am a little confused on how the NBA's protocols are going to work. Because it seems like they were able to postpone the Rockets game, but they couldn't postpone the Sixers one. It's just very... I don't want to say inconsistent, but it's just a little weird. And I think we're going to probably start seeing a lot of postponements once all these players that are entering quarantine and having close contact and all of these things. We're going to probably expect a few postponed games, which is why they, I'm sure they haven't released the second half of their schedule because they're thinking, in case we got to make up some of these games, at least we can do it then. Yeah, it's a. Uh... Like Kyle said, if you don't have the bubble, once you start introducing like stadium staff, uh, you're living in your own market, you're traveling. I mean, just the odds of something happening go up significantly. It again, like Kyle said, could be, you know, relatively innocuous through no fault. Now James Harden seems like that was slightly different because he was at the club. 
that was so that was a little bit different. But for like a lot of other guys, you know, I, I'm not necessarily assuming like malice or malicious intent or like they're necessarily being like immature. I am a little bit tired of like the coaches like taking their masks off to like yell into the faces of the refs. I'm like, you know, it, it's just it is this like contradictory nature of what they're trying to do. And at a certain point, I'm sure they were just like, we have to do what we have to do. Like maybe the optics aren't great or whatever, but you know, we have to make revenue one way or the other. So it's not that I necessarily blame the league, but um, no, it's just not that surprising. It's just going to be, you know, the speed with which it could travel, because I thought there were going to be a lot more two game mini series for teams than that a couple of days between, Whereas we're seeing now, like teams play one night in one stadium, they go, they travel, they play the next night somewhere else. Like that's, I, I think that's totally anti-productive to like what they're trying to do, and I'm confused why that's the case. Um, so maybe they'll look at that, but yeah, it's just, you know, again, like Kyle said, once you start introducing outside people, just it's bound to happen. It's just kind of the nature of a virus. So yeah, so um, troubling stuff. I mean, be prepared. Bucks fans, I, I, at some point it'll probably impact us. Kevin Durant just had to sit out basically a week, even though he'd already had the virus, but it was because he came in close contact with someone else. So um, something that will obviously is impacting all of our lives and will probably impact the Bucks season at some point. So we are going to take a quick break now, and on the other side of it, we'll close it out with our miscellaneous topics and predictions for the week ahead. So stay tuned. All right, we are back. It's time. We're going to move right into Kyle's film review. What you got, Kyle? So on Netflix, there is there was a movie called Death to 2020. It was on Netflix, and I didn't know exactly what it was supposed to be, but Emma and I watched it. It's more poking fun at the year of 2020, and they kind of make it a documentary-style series where they interview a variety of people. They have some celebrities on there, like Samuel L. Jackson's in it, um, one of the guys from Stranger Things. Like, they have a couple celebrities on there it's kind of more the poking fun at everything that's happened in 2020 talk about the topic so you know COVID-19 you know all the Black Lives Matter protest movements Australia wildfires the celebrity deaths like they kind of just talk about the election so they just talk about it and more or less make fun of the year in 2020 I think watch I think when we watch it like five to ten years it'll kind of be like more of a oh yeah that happened oh yeah that was a thing but when you watch it at the end of 2020 and considering how the first week of 2021 is gone, it's just more of a, yeah, this has been the longest year of our lifetime and this is, this sucks. So it, it was still fun. It was like an hour and a half, not too bad. I, I would say if you're in the mood to just throw something on and get a couple chuckles out of things, that that's that would be a good choice. So yeah, I give it six and a half out of ten. Nothing spectacular. Like I said, I think in five, ten years, it's going to be funnier than right now. It's fair enough. I watched it. I thought I, thought, I agree. I thought it was pretty good. I think I watched it um, like before everything awful had happened this week. So I yeah. felt like a little okay about it. And then that kind of sucked. But anyway, yeah. Um, all right. Film review in the bag. We're going to move on to the Fountain Pen Ink Review. See... Folks, you can tell Adam's start, starting to really get on top of things because he's noticing which brands are coming across. He's looking at the names. He's noticing. He can tell whether it's going to be a fountain pen or an ink review. This week, Diamine Sherwood Green. Um, what I got when I got my Sailor was it's like a British racing green, which is that like 
deep forest green. And I was like, well, I obviously got to get a couple of greens to go with this. So I got three of them this week. One of the ones, uh, I got two other sailor inks. This one, let's see, you guys can see. Going to be tough to see in the coloring. Uh, backwards, it says Sterling is the fourth podcast host. Uh, and it, it's a workhorse of a color. Um, it really doesn't feather all. The thing with Diamine is they're not going to like really wow you with their variation, their depth, their character, but they're very like, if you're looking for something that's going to lay down very consistently and looks pretty, they're going to be the ones you want to go for. Um, this is on a medium nib, so it's a little bit thicker, but so far I've had trouble with some greens because it's a drier ink where it'll, it'll, it'll take a little bit for it to start. You have to like wet the nib or something like this has been very consistent. Um, for a deep green, I probably like it a little bit more than my Sailor even, the other Sailor that I recorded a couple weeks ago. Um, so yeah, deep green, I like them. Uh, and not really like a bright green fan. So for like the forest green uh, and especially matching with the pen that I got as well, really good all the way around. So I'd give it like a eight out of 10. Very nice. How does it compare to the Bucks um, Bucks Green? Good question. It's probably um, a little bit more like blue almost. And the thing with a lot of these inks is they'll have like, so I can see based on the reflection, the light, it has a little bit of red as well. So it's very, uh, you know, you could even say it's a Bucks throwback, but probably a little bit more bluey, a little more green, uh, like deep green than ours. That's nice. Does it almost look a little wet when you see it in motion? Uh, <laughs> Maybe, maybe a little bit. And then it dries and you're like, oh, maybe that wet effect was just, that was bad marketing. So it, <laughs> it makes you wonder a little bit, huh? Fair enough. All right, let's move on to predictions. The Bucks have three games coming up this next week. First one is at Orlando. The next one is at Detroit. Oh boy, we get to play them again. And then home versus the Brooklyn Nets. Riley, what's your prediction for the week? Is there, so before I ask, is there a... Do we know if Kevin Durant decides injury, will he be theoretically out of the protocol? He should be back. He's supposed to play, I think, today. He's going to be like potentially back for today's game. So barring any other injury, he'll be he should be back. Okay. So I will say two and one. We'll beat Orlando, we'll beat Detroit. Um, and I think we'll lose against the Nets just because we've struggled with good teams and especially first look at this team in particular. Um it's going to be like two teams circling each other and their like top level talent just might be gelling a little bit quicker and be a little bit more high powered. So I'm going to guess two and one, we lose against the Nets. I also will say two and one, but I was really close to saying three and oh, because I could see Kyrie shooting the Nets out of a win, but I think Kevin Durant is going to take full advantage of this scheme. They'll beat Detroit because of course, and Orlando it might be a little bit closer and it might be a tougher matchup, but with the injury to Mar Markel Fultz, I think it's going to be a little bit harder for Orlando. So I'll say two and one. Uh, I hate to be boring, but I'm feeling the same way. I think two and one. I think Orlando, I thought Orlando will give him a scare. Obviously Vucevic can do his thing that he did against us. Terrence Ross is always annoying and he's like leading the NBA and scoring off the bench at like 20 points a game. Detroit is Detroit. And then, yeah, I, I'm with you guys on, on Brooklyn. I, I think there's, I think there's, they're, they're probably just going to struggle against them and we'll end up losing. So two and one for the week. All right, fellas, that was the Bucks. That was our podcast. Thank you to everyone for listening. Go to brewhoop.com for all of our coverage. Uh, follow us on Twitter at brewhoop. Like and subscribe to the podcast. Share it with your friends. And we will talk to you again soon.